Good morning, good morning. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity, Neil. Thanks for um, yeah, something I just uh, threw together this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, huh? It's amazing what you can do through the night. Actually, I have been up through the night. Um, yeah, um, won't go into the details, but feeling a bit fragile this morning, and hence a bit um, a bit emotional actually. Um, I was driving in this this morning, and I just thought about the weight of this word and eternity and what God has on offer for us and his gospel, the old message of the cross. And I just thought how important it is for an eternal perspective. And it just hit me. And I realized how rusty I am in terms of delivering the eternal message of the hope that we have in Christ. And uh, I also want to <clears throat> just bring in probably a little bit of my own story, um, because as I was preparing for this, I, I recognized how much I actually relate to essentially the pre-cross and the post-cross experience in my life. And that's why I've got the cross behind me. Um, I was only joking. I didn't paint that. I don't know who did. But um, really around how the cross defines us. Got water, thanks. So, yeah, thanks, Isaac. Um, so I wanted to sort of touch on a few things. I was actually going to drink from the mic now. <laughs> That's what happens when you're not ambidextrous. So what's so the question really I wanted to ask um, today is who are we? More importantly, who are you? I think I've figured out who I am, but who are you? You know, when you go to a bry and you meet a bunch of strangers, what's the most common question that people ask? What do you do? Eh? Isn't that the most common question? And yet it's such a limiting question. It's such a, like a nothing question. What, what do you do? It, it tells nothing about the person um, and nothing about what they're like, what their character is like, what their hopes and dreams and passions are. It's like, what do you do? And it's such a nothing question. And I thought about it, you know, the next time somebody asks me, what do you do? I'm going to say, well, I'm a project manager, so tell me, who are you? And they might go, well, I, I'm, I'm Bob, and I go, no, that's your name, but who, intrinsically, who are you? It gets pretty awkward quite quickly, right? Eh? <laughs> Guaranteed. And, you know, I, I thought about it um, because I don't know if uh, you guys can remember what I preached on last time back sometime in August. And, um, you know, can, can anyone remember um, what, what I preached on? Who is God? And this is kind of a follow-up, is who are, who are you? So, so who is God? And we, we kind of got to the conclusion that God is our Father. 
Okay, that's, that's pretty much in every single introductory letter of every single New Testament letter, God our Father, God our Father, God our Father. So if God is our Father, then who are we? We're his children. All right. And, uh, and I just thought, you know, we need to know that. We need to hear it again and again and again, that we are God's children. And it was interesting when I was reading through the scriptures preparing, I recognized that um, Jesus had this question a lot from people. Who are you? Pontius Pilate, who, who are you? The Pharisees, who are you? Are you the one? And everyone wanted to know from Jesus, who are you? And uh, people were confused. The demons, not so much. They knew who Jesus was. And in Mark 1.24, we see the encounter that Jesus has with um, this man who's demonized. And, and the demon speaking through this man says, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Yeah. And later in, in, in Mark 3.11, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And finally, Luke 4.41, also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God. The demons knew who Jesus was, people didn't. The thing is, Jesus knew who he was. So the demons know who Jesus is, and we who claim to be Christians know who Jesus is. But unfortunately, we might think to be a Christian simply means believing in who Jesus was. And actually not knowing, tragically, who we are in him. We think as a Christian, all we need to know about is who Jesus is. But we need to know who we are in him. So many of us come to the church and all too quickly we learn Christianese. We learn what to say, how to say it. We know what we should be doing, shouldn't be doing. But that doesn't define us as being children of God. All right? Nothing that we do and say as a Christian defines us as being a son or a daughter of God. So, then what does define us? Well, let me first quickly say the things that don't define us and make us become a child of God are these few things. As Louise pointed out so um, accurately, being dedicated as a baby doesn't make us a child of God. Thanks for laying that groundwork there, Louis. Making my job a lot easier here. Being baptized. Ooh, that doesn't make us a child of God. Can I even say that? There's plenty of people who get baptized 
Go and read Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer. He's the first in the water, man. He gets baptized. And then Peter says to him, you and your money will perish. There's plenty of people who get baptized for all the wrong reasons. Because their parents want them to. The church expects them to. Just going through the motions. Their heart's not in it. Far from God. It's tragic. Growing up in a Christian home ain't going to make you a child of God. Being confirmed, attending, attending Sunday school, going to church. Okay, elders, close your, close your ears on this one. Tithing your money. You can't buy your way into the family of God. And uh, serving in church ain't going to make you a child of God. Going on missions, studying at Bible school, being a preacher, leading a church. Prayer and fasting, not going to make you a child of God. There's plenty of other religions that do way more praying and fasting than we do. As Carl pointed out last week, not going to make us a child of God. Here's one that caught me for the first 28 years of my life, before I was a Christian. Being a good moral person. Hey, I'm a good guy. Sure, God. Usher me into heaven for all eternity because, hey, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't raped anybody. I'm a good guy. These things may be done by a child of God, but it doesn't make you a child of God. So before we get to how do we become a child of God, I think a more important question is really, why bother? Why bother? Why bother being a child of God? Because really you could say this Christian stuff seems to be pretty boring, pretty irrelevant. You know, getting up early for church, geez, tithing 10% of your income. That's, that's my hard-earned money, man. I don't want to give it away. Being good, I can be good on my own. I don't need church. What do I need church for? Why should I bother even entertaining the thought of becoming a child of God? Well, Jesus gives us one compelling reason. Joe, if you could put up Matthew 25. It's quite a long scripture, but I'm going to read it. This half see the scripture. Okay, I'll read it through. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus coming back, as he's promised, and as our Christian hope is. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, this is Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one another, um, from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his left-hand side, on his right, sorry, he'll put the sheep on his right-hand side, and he'll put the goats on his left. 
Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Blessed by my Father. Notice that word, blessed. And then we skip down to verse 41, and he's addressing the goats on his left. And then he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a pretty compelling reason as to why you should bother becoming a child of God. And before you think God delights in punishing everybody and anybody, the scriptures in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6 says, God our Savior, he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Wow. So, notwithstanding the negative aspects of what happens to you when you're not a child of God, being cursed and cast into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And I wanted to say here, the fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared for mankind. Because the scripture that's still, well, that's up, what is Timothy saying there? God wants some people. God wants one or two people. God wants his favorites. Now it says God wants all people. Just go up one verse, I think. Yeah, verse 4. God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Nobody is without excuse. Scripture tells us that our consciences that God has given us, even as unbelievers, we know right from wrong. We know that we carry guilt. And yet, what's the problem? If I was in a, a desert volcanic island and people told me it's imminent, that volcano is going to blow. But there's helicopters coming in, we can evacuate you and your loved ones. I'd be like, that's good news, man. I'm on that helicopter. I'm out of there. You don't have to convince me. So if this is the word of God, if this is true, if Jesus is coming back and there's going to be a separation between the children of God and those who are not the children of God, then what's the problem? Why would people reject that offer? What is the problem? Well, Scripture tells us that we have three main problems. We're ignorant of the truth. We haven't heard the gospel message, really. And I've got to confess that maybe the church is guilty of, of things here. <laughs> because we haven't always preached the, the true gospel, if we look at the church history. We've done a pretty appalling job of marketing the truth. You know, we, we have burnt people at the stake for not reading the right translation. You know, the, the, we have promised 
peace, joy, happiness, and prosperity, and come to Jesus and all your troubles will go away. We've given people the false gospel. And no wonder people are disillusioned. They can tell this is fake, man. This isn't true. So they're ignorant to the truth. They haven't heard the truth. But even if they did hear the truth, here's the second reason. People prefer their sin to truth. God is simply inconvenient. He's inconvenient. People want to ignore and suppress the truth. Scripture tells us in Romans, um, Romans 2, 3, and pop that up. There are those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. For, for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And further in John 3, 19 to 20, Jesus says this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. People don't want to hear the gospel because they prefer their sin. And then lastly, the third reason why there's a problem here, why, why people are not flocking to the church, why they're not responding to the gospel, is that we were born spiritually dead. We in ourselves cannot become born again. It's something that God must do. This is an act of God. But we have been given a conscience and we have been given a brain. And we can look at the stars and we can look at creation and we can say there's got to be something out there, man. God has gifted us with a mind and with a conscience so that those who look to the stars can say there must be a God. And so we are without excuse. So what then needs to happen in order for you to become a child of God? You need to hear the truth, you need to respond to the truth, and you need to trust God to do what you cannot do. You need to hear the truth, you need to respond to the truth, and you need to trust God to do what He cannot do. For many years I was this side of the cross. 28 years of my life. Not a child of God. I was one of the goats on the left, separated from God. I hadn't really heard the gospel. I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. I didn't go to a church. I think I maybe went to one church wedding when I was like 12 years old. Didn't know the gospel. Hadn't heard it. I was ignorant. That was my first problem. But then a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses came knocking on the door. And I was intrigued. And I said, come on in. And they came, as they do, every Sunday for a few months thereafter. 
while I was in matric, while I was parting it up on the weekends, using alcohol, smoking dope, having a good time. And they said to me, we would like to ask you if you are ready to make a commitment. And I said, let me think about it. And you know what? I thought about it and I consciously thought, mm -mm, I prefer my sin. This is too inconvenient. Tick box number one. Tick box number two. Tick, tick box number one, I hadn't heard the gospel really. Tick box number two, when it came to the crunch of actually making some form of commitment to God, I bailed. I thought, no, I'm having way too much fun. And besides, I'm a nice guy. God pretty much adores me. <laughs> What's there not to like? And then, finally, um, I'd never experienced and had what only God can do. I'd never experienced the Holy Spirit. And at 28, I got to London, and after a whole series of events where God was starting to speak to me, and I was starting to become open to the things of God, I decided, well, let me do the Alpha course, and I'll, I'll find out about God that way. And I did the Alpha course at HTB, had, had the Rev, what was his name? Nicky Gumble. Went away on weekend with him. I remember he cornered me in the bookshop after the, the weekend away. And he said to me, so what do you think of the weekend away? And I said to him with my psychology degree under my arm, well, I think it's group hysteria. Uh, <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and I said, well, actually, it's probably more like group hypnosis. And he said to me, well, you... you you have a point, it, it, it's, it resembles that. He says, but what is the fruit? And I said to him, well, look, I'm not here, cocky 28-year-old. I'm not going to be around in six months' time to track the fruit in their lives. I'm going to make a call now, and I think it's just hype, um, group hysteria, and hypnosis. So, you know, people on the ground crying, writhing around, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, this is just weird, man. And so... It intrigued me, and I actually went to a church in our little borough in London. And it was an Anglican church, and we walked in there, and I met the, the reverend briefly in his garb um, after the sermon, which was utterly boring, <laughs> and got to, got to meet the guy. And then probably 40 seconds into the conversation, somebody came up to you, and I, I kid you not, wanted to talk to him about the leaking roof. You know, we always hear that cliche about the leaking church roof. Well, we got one. And he just said, please excuse me, I need to go and attend to this. And I walked out of there and I thought, well, that's, that's crossed off the list. And I never went back to church until I got a phone call from my girlfriend at the time, and she said, we're going to church on Sunday. And I said, well, uh, we don't go to church, so 
you know, there's a problem there. We drink beer on the Thames in Richmond on a Sunday. And she said, well, I met friends I haven't seen for five years on the tube, and they've invited us to church. These are pre-cell phone days. We can't cancel. We've organized with them. And we are going to church. So I said to her, what kind of church is it? Because we had done the Alpha course, man. There were people like lying on the floor, sizzling like bacon. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Not for me. So, I, <laughs> yeah, thank goodness it wasn't kosher. But anyhow, I interrogated my girlfriend. And eventually, in frustration, I said, okay, we'll go. But remember, if it gets freaky, I'm going to the car. She says, that's fine. So we go, in, we go into the service, and I'm expecting a statue at least, maybe some stained glass windows, and lots of pews. And what I get is a bunch of folk like you guys, jeans and T-shirt, you know, and um, the pastor starts the sermon by shouting, Sex! 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 <laughs> and I, I look at my girlfriend and I'm thinking, What have we got into? And then whenever he quietens down and, and gathers their senses like you guys, he says, today we're going to talk about sex and what the world thinks of sex and what God thinks of sex because he created it. And for the next half an hour, I listened to a really wise man talking a lot of sense. And it really, it, it really impacted me. And I thought... For the first time, it challenged me because there I was living with my girlfriend. And I thought, yeah, he's got, he's got a lot of valid points here. And then he said, okay, stand up everybody, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna worship. And I saw those things going up, you know, those things called hands. And then I saw those, that sizzling bacon again. <laughs> and I started getting so freaked out. People were, on their chairs, laughing, crying, hands up in the air. It was a dog show. I was like, this is a circus. I've got to get out of here. And I nudged my girlfriend and I said to her, I'm out of here, I'm, I'm going. And I turned around and I got my jacket off the chair and when I turned back again, there was somebody standing in my face. And he was a short guy, so I was kind of looking down at him and saying, mm, what do you want? And he says, can I pray for you? I said, no, no, it's fine. It's okay. And I made to go, and he said, no, really, I'd love to pray for you. I said, I'm sure you would, but it's okay. I've been prayed for. I did the Alpha course. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't lying. I'd been prayed for there. But he persisted. He said, you know what? I'd really just love to pray for you. And I don't know how many times he asked me, but it got really uncomfortable, and he was right up in my grill. And something in my mind just said, you know what? He gets to pray for you, and you get to go to the car. It's cut a good deal, you know? 
so I put my jacket down and I said, okay, fine. And I, I stood there with my hands clasped like this in front of me. And I said, okay, well, like, do your best. <laughs> and he put his hand on my heart and in such a sincere, normal prayer, he said, Father, I just thank you for this guy. And that's all I heard. Next thing, this right leg started sizzling like bacon. And I was thinking, I don't do this. This is the weirdest thing. And this heat started moving up my leg. And I thought, okay, this is adrenaline. Let's get out the psychology textbook. And I started analyzing this. And I felt something that I'd never experienced before was this liquid love being poured into me. And as this peace and liquid love started flowing into me, I lost hearing of his voice. I was straining to hear what he was saying, but it was like it was coming from a long distant tunnel, like listening to the seashell you know, next to your ear. I, I just heard this white noise. It was... And I was standing there in this waterfall of liquid love cascading into me, and I could not hear what he was saying, but I could put the two and two together that he was representing Jesus and God, and that God himself, the maker of the universe, was taking time to validate what he was saying, that no other man or woman or logic or rational thinking could do this was something that only the Holy Spirit could do. Tick box number three. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit of God that day, and my eyes were opened to the things of God. And I moved from a goat to a sheep. From not being a child of God, what the scripture says, a child of the devil, living for myself, full of pride. The biggest pride thinking, I don't need God, I'm a good guy. Foolishness, the Bible says. Yeah. To being a child of God. Not because I attended church, not because I got baptized, not because I tithed to the church, not because I served in the church, not because I went to Bible study, Bible school, not because I went on missions, but because I heard the gospel. I heard something of Jesus. I heard that the Father loved me. This guy made that enough clear enough. There was just a little bit of what I needed to hear. And I opened my heart just a little bit in faith. I responded just a little bit. I said, God, if you're real, if this is, if this is what's happening is real, if this is you, then I'm open. Do your bit. And I moved. I received the Holy Spirit at that time. When I said, I'm open, you can do whatever you want to do. I trust you. This is good. I transitioned through the cross, through Jesus, what he has done, and my sins were forgiven, and I became a child of God. And for every single person here today, 
there are only two kinds. The sheep and the goats. Those who have heard the gospel and rejected it. Heard the gospel, rejected maybe for good reason. Or heard the gospel, the proper gospel, the pure gospel. That God loves you and has made a way for you to come to him through the cross. Where Jesus bears your sin on him. To say, you can never repay that sin. This sin is blocking you. Come to the Father, become a child of God, that none should perish. Through Jesus, no other way. Move from being a goat, a stubborn goat, to being a sheep who follows the shepherd's voice. There is no other way. There is no other religion. There is no other effort. There is no other... Um, way that God has provided other than the cross of Christ. You know, there's a lot more that I can say about being forgiven. Um, you can put up John 1, 12, um, 12 to 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus said it like this to Nicodemus, a priest who should know these things. This Nicodemus priest comes to him at night and says, you know, how do we get to God, basically? And Jesus says, you must be born again of the Spirit. And um, it's just interesting that we are born of God and we become God's children. The Bible in, in 1 John, he, it's really graphic. Um, the Greek has two words for seed. And... Uh, Spora is the seed that you get from the field, plants, trees, spora, seed. But Peter writes, sorry, I think it's Peter, 1 Peter, he writes, the sperma of God remains in you. It's really graphic, isn't it? But we are pregnant with the sperma of God, the Holy Spirit. He has injected us with His Holy Spirit, opened our eyes to the things of God, where we were spiritually dead, we're now spiritually alive, we are now born again of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has now marked us, we can see the cross for what it is, and we've moved over and become a child of God. It is something that only He can do. We can't do it. And unfortunately, so many people don't know who they are. They don't know that they're a child of God, adopted, in Christ. Because as we all do, 
we sin, we fall short, and then we think we have moved back to no longer being a child of God. And then we're having a good day, and we're back at being a child of God again. Oh, and then something happens. Taxi cuts in front of us, <laughs> and we're back at being a goat. No longer a child of God. And you know, it comes out in how we pray, it comes out in how we worship, this sort of schizophrenic way of seeing ourselves. Who are we? If I'm a child of God, I'm not a wretch. I'm not a wretched sinner. I'm a child of God. That's my true identity, and that never changes. Good point, Ross. I was a wretched sinner, saved by grace. And now, I'm a child of God. Colossians 1.22, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't adopt you and then go, nah, I actually don't really like you that much. I'm going to give you back to the uh, orphanage. As soon as that adoption paper is signed, you are his and he is yours for all eternity. So we are forgiven and we are loved. Yeah. Lots to say about being forgiven and being loved. But let me say this to you. Yeah. 1 John 3, 1. And I'll end with this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Great love lavished on us at the cross. The greatest act of love the world has ever known. That God himself would come down, take on flesh, take on our sin upon himself as an act of love, so that we could come to him because we could never deal with our sin on our own it had to be paid in full by the blood of Jesus and so if you ever doubt the love of God and that you have become a child of God because the devil will always attack your identity he did it with Jesus as soon as Jesus got ushered into his ministry, what's the first thing that, that the Father said to Jesus? And then a voice said from the heavens, this is my son, identity, in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't say, yeah, this is my son, now off you go, go and do the work I have for you. This is my son who I'm well pleased with. And so don't come into the church, don't become a Christian, don't get saved just so that you can do work. 
Come into the family, the household of God, be adopted as a child of God, knowing that you are loved, first of all. So the devil says to us, you know, if you are a child of God, as he tempted Jesus, the very first thing that Jesus is told is his identity. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. The very first thing the devil says to him is, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, jump off of this tower and see if God will save you. If you are. If you are. And the devil will do that to us as well. If you are a child of God, you should be feeling the presence of God all the time. You shouldn't be suffering from depression or anxiety. If you are the ch- a child of God, you should be sharing your faith more often. You should be doing miracles if you're a child of God. Didn't Jesus say you'll be doing greater things? Doesn't the devil always use scripture to condemn us? What does he always do? He attacks our identity. And it's always around the doing things. Why haven't you been at church? Are you really a child of God? We've got three things to, to talk back to the devil on and to verify that we are are loved children of God. First of all, the cross. Listen, if God didn't love us, (laughs) then the cross makes no sense. And the gospel is a lie. Because the cross settles it. You don't need any more, but, but there are more. But the cross settles it because nobody pays a price like the cross to redeem back that which they don't love. If God didn't love us, He wouldn't put his son through any of that pain. It makes no sense. The cross settles it on its own. But also the word of God says, Galatians 3.26, says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. So if you're doubting it, and the cross isn't enough evidence that God loves you and has made a way for you, take it on, on the word. In Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. 1 John 3, 1, again, emphasizes that point. See what great love the Father has lavished in us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what you are. That is what we are. So the Word, the cross, and then the Spirit. Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit testifies, tells us, confirms that you are a child of God. So we have those three witnesses. The cross, the word, and the Spirit. So beware, be aware. The devil will attack your identity He will come and he will use scripture. But stand on the word. Understand the beauty of the cross as as the biggest act of love this world has ever seen. And open yourselves to the witness of the Spirit that you are a forgiven, dearly loved child of God. So let's pray and just ask the Holy Spirit just to cement that truth into into our spirits 
And um, yeah, I'll just be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Be open to what I've shared with you about hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, and then opening yourself up to that which only God can do, to impart to you His Spirit, His life-giving Spirit that says, you are welcome in my household. I love you. You are my child. And I want to say, let's not confuse things here. The sheep and the goats are both equally loved by God. While we were still sinners, the Bible tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are both loved, sheep and goats, but only one is forgiven. That's the difference. It says, those who reject Christ, the wrath of God remains on them. It's a heavy thing. And so we've got to be sober when we understand that the love of God is there for both sinners and saints, but that forgiveness is appropriated by the cross through your response. And so as we bow our heads now, let's just respond to the gospel. And if you have any doubts whether you're a child of God, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit now to come and fill you. In fact, we can just stand and we can just wait in the Holy Spirit. Just wait in the Holy Spirit. Just put your hands out as an act of faith that He would touch you and bless you and that you would receive the goodness of God, the blessing of God. So come, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Lord, we want to preach the gospel, the message of your good news, the forgiveness of sin. But we want to know that people need to respond. So open your hearts, open your, your minds to the things of God. And I want to speak a declaration over you. But if you have accepted and believed and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you have believed, then you are a child of God. Come, Holy Spirit, come and bless your children. Holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Bless them, Lord. Even now, Holy Spirit, come. Come. Come and rest on your people. Come and rest in your people. Thank you, Lord, for doing what only you can do. We bless you, Holy Spirit. Come, more, Lord. More of your presence now. More, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for making a way. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. If anybody is feeling um, the Holy Spirit moving upon them, on them, in them, through them, make your way to the carpet here. We'll be praying for you for just some, some further ministry. Um, we want to continue if the Lord has started anything.
but um, I think there's a lot of us who know God as Father and know who we are, that we are loved and forgiven children of God. And in that case, if that's the case for you, bless you. Have a lovely Sunday further. Thank you for your, your ears and your hearts. Cheers. Bye.